This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. My name is Sara Janella Vaibo, and I am one of the researchers. Uh, I've been involved uh, with The Last Gift since the very beginning in 2017, I am part of every step from outreach, recruitment. Uh, uh, we will talk more about the autopsy and then generating the data and analysis. Good evening, everyone. My name is Susana Concha Garcia, uh, UCSD School of Medicine, Department of Psychiatry. And uh, I've been, uh, since the beginning, since 2017, part of the Last Gift team. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here this evening. And hello, my name is Andy Cates, and I co-chair the uh, UCSD Antiviral Research Center Community Advisory Board. Uh, the Community Advisory Board, as well as myself, have been involved since the beginning of the last GIFT study, uh, as you're going to hear. Uh, we uh, have been an integral part in the study design and, uh, and keeping community in the loop. Thank you, Sarah, Susanna, and Andy. I'm Corinne Dubay. I'm a social scientist. I'm based at UNC Chapel Hill, and I've been um, helping with the social behavioral science and ethics and community component of The Last Gift. And today we'll be giving an ethics update of The Last Gift program. So we want to thank the uh, Center for Ethics and Science and Technology and everyone for joining today on our Last Gift discussion. And I also want to thank Andy, who's co-presenter today. So we want to uh, look back uh, to a little uh, of four years ago in February 2018. Um, the UCSD ethics program held a similar session on the last gift. Should we ask terminally ill HIV patients to donate their bodies to science? This was a program presented by Dr. Davy Smith from UCSD. And at the time, the discussions that we explored were, um, do we think that end-of-life research is ethically justifiable? Is the HIV community ready, both patients and providers? And how should we incorporate uh, social behavioral science and ethics as part of HIV cure-related research at the end of life? And of course, we also had several scientific questions, uh, which Dr. Janella can, can discuss as well. So the Pioneering participant was named Tony Bennett, um, Last Gift One. Um, he was very proud to be part of the Last Gift and wanted his name to be known. Um, and you also see Blair, his partner, who was also very supportive of his participation in the Last Gift. Blair is also part of the Last Gift family. Another participant who wanted to be publicly known was Max. Um, who became a strong advocate for HIV cure-related research at the end of life, um, who passed away about two years ago, who became a, a very strong um, advocate um, for the program. We're very grateful for the extremely altruistic participants in the Last Gift program. So we began our ethics exploration about uh, four or five years ago, looking at um, what would be some of the ethical considerations for HIV cure-related research at the end of life, and how do we assess perceptions of participants, including informed consent, and their next of kin and loved ones. And then we also wanted to make sure that we would document our ethical and practical considerations for end-of-life HIV cure-related research, and that we would put participants at the very center of HIV research. 
And all these considerations were generated in very close collaboration with the Antiviral Research Center Community Advisory Board, um, which um, Andy is a co-chair. So we first started with our initial ethical considerations. This was published in 2018 after engaging the community in generating these considerations. Um, so we came up with five key ethical considerations for HIV cure related research at the end of life, including protecting autonomy through informed consent, avoiding exploitation and fostering altruism, maintaining favorable risk to benefit, safeguarding vulnerability through patient participant centeredness and ensuring acceptance of next of kin loved ones and community stakeholders. And uh, with uh, Susanna, we also created um, uh, several considerations for ensuring patient participant centeredness for the last gift study. Um, and also the community advisory boards were involved in, in these considerations, including how to do ethical um, clinical research at the end of life how to preserve quality of life at the end of life. Um, we also discussed considerations around advanced care planning, mental health, cultural and spiritual issues, and financial and legal issues. So to date, there have been 30 participants uh, enrolled in the last gift, uh, and then 19 have successfully completed the entire protocol, including the rapid research autopsy. So what you see here are the participants who have um, completed the program. Um, so 17 males and two females. Three participants have passed from ALS, 10 from solid tumor malignancy, two from hematologic malignancy, and four from other causes. Again, we're incredibly uh, grateful for their generous gift. So the last gift has generated um, a lot of wonderful data on HIV persistence, where HIV hides in the different parts of the body. Um, this was a paper published by Dr. Antoine Chaillot and colleagues from UCSD on HIV persistence through deep tissues with repopulation from multiple anatomical sources. There are several others really wonderful papers that have been published or that are currently in the works um, to really advance the, the search for um, where HIV hides in, in the body but also the search towards an HIV cure. And in terms of our uh, ethical and social behavioral component, we have published papers looking at perceptions of participants themselves, next of kin loved ones, and clinical and rapid autopsy staff to make sure that the research remains acceptable to them. And we've also done a lot of work with engaging the community on the last gift, including uh, with the Antiviral Research Center, Community Advisory Board, the Positive Life Program in Palm Spring, and this was a piece that was published in Positively Aware about two years ago as well. There's also a last give video that's available on the website. And then with Community Advisory Board members, we also explored various uh, notions of ethics, including vulnerability. So the last gift is challenging several notions of ethics, including um, how we perceive vulnerability in biomedical research, we heard uh, several um, narratives around empowerment and control at the end of life. Um, so the last gift is challenging some of our notions around uh, what we think of vulnerability in biomedical research. In terms of key themes from our last gift participant interviews, the last gift gives a lot of meaning to participants, um, provides them with a sense of uh, fulfillment and self-actualization at the end of life, also gives them hope 
about the search for an HIV cure and gives them the chance to leave a legacy. And the participants have a very good understanding of the study as well. So we hear a lot of wonderful uh, narratives around um, scientific altruism and HIV-specific altruism. Some of them even see a moral obligation to participate in the last gift. Uh, they perceive um, societal benefit and emotional and psychosocial benefits of being part of the last gift. And then we also ask about um, concerns and risks at the end of life. Participants want us to emphasize respect and dignity at the end of life. And then also express gratitude towards research staff. In terms of the, the next of kin and loved ones, they also find um, that the last gift provides meaning to life. Uh, the next of kin have been tremendously supportive of the last gift participants' decision because it allows them to serve a higher purpose, and they also have really good understanding of the study. Next of kin loved ones want to be included very early in the process, uh, and they want really clear communication about the last gift and the logistics of this study. They also appreciate the sense of fulfillment that the last gifts provides and the emotional support as well until the end of life and after. So we've done several interviews with next of kin's as well as focus groups as well. Um, this was a paper published by Stephanie Javadi, who is now a medical student at UCLA, who was an integral part of the program as well. In terms of key themes from focus group with last gift um, research staff, uh, we found that the importance of trust and resilience and managing stress. Uh, the research staff also expressed tremendous gratitude for the participants and their next of kin and loved ones. They also have a strong sense of interdependence, ethical awareness, and also understand the critical importance of community and patient engagement. And then we've continued our ethical explorations throughout the last gift program. So most recently, we, uh, we focused on uh, expanding our ethical considerations for HIV cure-related research at the end of life. And we've also begun an exploration of considerations for interventional cure-related research at the end of life. So to date, all the work has been observational, and now we're exploring introducing intervention. So this has not happened yet, but we want to be very proactive if we were to test interventions that would be directed towards an HIV cure, like broadly neutralizing antibodies um, at the end of life. Um, so we're, we're engaging uh, stakeholders now into these discussions to make sure that the research would remain acceptable to all stakeholders. And as I've mentioned before, we've also documented lessons learned from the last gift study, um, including um, COVID, the COVID pandemic, which happened um, during the last gift, dual roles um, of, of, um, of the clinical care team and the research team. So ideally these remain separate. We've also explored the role of surrogate informed consent communication between research personnel and clinical care teams to make sure that there's really good communication with the, the physicians who care for the participants, the logistics of tissue donations and the rapid research autopsy, legally required autopsy versus rapid research autopsy to make sure that there's no conflict there, uh, the role of emotional support and preventing burnout for staff and, and next of kin and loved ones and participants, also, determination of next of kin and loved ones. We adopt a very inclusive approach to how we determine next of kin and loved ones. If participants do not want their next of kin loved ones um, involved in the process, we also respect their wishes. 
Also, the role of personal pro professional boundaries. Um, cremation was another topic that the, the, the Community Advisory Board helped us resolve as well. Given the nature of the research, this was uh, found to be a necessity and not uh, perceived as a benefit. Um, and then the role of um, vulnerability and, and how we define vulnerability in the context of this research. Another theme that emerged during the last gift was the concept of death with dignity and compassion. So this was one of the participants who passed from ALS. And uh, here is his quote. One of the most comforting aspects was that I was going to be in control of my end. I was relieved to know that I did not have to suffer needlessly and indeterminately. The end of life option act afford me and other terminally ill people the option. And that is a very important word to have dignity and compassion at the end of our lives. That gave me a great deal of comfort in the past year. So uh, the last gift allows participant to seek um, medical aid in dying, but of course, for ethical reasons, this process must be completely separate from the study and participants must follow the, the regular process of having two providers um, evaluate um, the situation. And so we are allowing participants to take part of, of, the, of, this, uh, to, of this option, but this must be outside of the study. And so now it's been almost five years that we've had the last gift 1.0. And thanks to the leadership of the team, Dr. David Smith, Dr. Sarah Janella, um, Dr. Antoine Chaillot, and everyone, the program has been renewed for another five years uh, from 2022 until 20, um, 2027. So we're now engaging communities and stakeholders in helping define our key priorities for the next phase of the last gift. And we would love to have your input where you think this should go. So possible next steps for last gift 2.0, we would like to continue our assessment of the participants and next of kin and loved ones to make sure that the research remains accessible to them. We would also like to do more exploration in the community around perceptions of HIV cure-related research at the end of life, perhaps with greater emphasis on um, justice, equity, trustworthiness. We heard from the Antiviral Research Community Advisory Board that we also need to pay more attention to issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity. So we're um, taking that into consideration as well. Um, there are groups that have approached us on the East Coast about starting a similar conversation about um, end-of-life HIV cure-related research, so we would like to engage them as well. And we also want to pay more uh, attention to cultural and spiritual considerations. Of course, we welcome your input where you would like to see the last gift go for the next five years. Um, there's a similar group doing research in Canada on um, HIV cure-related research at the end of life that that has approached us to ask for our uh, instruments and we've shared them and they've um, recently submitted a paper on willingness to participate in end-of-life HIV care research in Canada. So they've seen also um, high willingness of patients to engage in this type of research. And then possible next steps, um, we're exploring the possibility of incorporating SARS-CoV-2 related research so that would be a similar program. We're also continuing to harvest the wonderful data from our participants. So we're hoping to publish additional papers in the coming years. 
And then we'll continue the conversation around um, interventions and what that would look like with the last gift. And then as we get approached with different um, opportunities to collaborate, we're um, looking for a framework for um, prioritization of research projects. Um, so this is a framework that was provided to us by Thomas Villa, who is a community member who advises on the last gift. So should we prioritize internal requests first and then external requests, external HIV research in general, external research to enhance the health inequity for people with HIV, and then external re uh, requests unrelated to HIV and deemed to be of high social and scientific value. So we're exploring different ways to prioritize um, concepts related to the last gift. And we would also like to um, wish Susana Concha Garcia, who is the heart and soul of our team, a really happy retirement. Susana is retiring at the end of June and she will be missed tremendously. Uh, Susana is a wonderful person and she will be missed tremendously. She is the face of the last gift in the community and we're going to miss her a lot. So we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much. I'm curious, um, as we uh, look to, to questions coming in um, on this concept of, of trust and trustworthiness, um, I, I think that a lot of us um, have focused in on this as we've seen uh, different misconceptions or purposeful things that aren't true spread about um, infectious disease, infectious disease research, um, and it, it really being hard to counter um, and us starting to see that even scientists aren't always believed in the context of some of the things that we know well. And to my mind, it seems like a, a big contrast with the work that you all are doing where it appears as though there's a close relationship, right, with community partners. And there's a, there's a, there's a back and forth, right? It isn't we're the experts and we know, <laughs> right? It's we have an expertise and a knowledge, but we're really interested in your input as we move this forward. And so I'm curious if you could speak to maybe some of the challenges along the way <laughs> that have learned that it helped push you and, and maybe some ways in which you've seen um, that this can be applied to other research, maybe that you've been a part of in the, in, in, in the past or going forward. I can start with one challenge that we had at the very beginning when uh, uh, Dr. Smith, for the first time, came up with this idea to enroll altruistic people with HIV and uh, uh, you know, follow them and then perform a rapid research autopsy. And we submitted a few uh, editorials, opinion pieces and grants. And I will say the first maybe year and a half, we were getting a lot of pushback from a lot of researchers and reviewers that, that were really so that we're telling you, what are you doing? Like you are taking advantage of vulnerable people as they are dying and asking them to donate their body. And, uh, and we had to fight really hard. And I, key has been the community, like Andy and Jeff Taylor, and like a group of tremendously passionate advocates that stood up for us. And really, uh, you know, like they, they say, we're not vulnerable. That's what we want to speak for yourself. Like they were really passionate. And uh, we, we had to really go over and over and over and over to educate people about, you know, body autonomy of community members. And I will say that after five years now, 
uh, we feel much more accepted. And we really have seen a shift in, uh, in, uh, the, in how other researchers approach the last gift. Like every time we submit a new last gift grant, uh, like the pushback is a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less. And uh, more people are reaching out and asking us uh, to help them set up similar approach. But five years ago, people thought we were crazy. Susanna, do you have one? <laughs> Um, I want to think back to uh, when we were forming some initial ideas about having this small group of individuals, of future participants, what would it look like? And one of my emphasis with uh, the design was that we need to enroll um, participants who have a significant other that that is going to be very crucial to the success and that we needed to figure out a way in which to enroll um, the participant along with the uh, significant other. And that meant dealing with the dynamics of what that significant other, uh, who that might be, uh, family structures, uh, beliefs. Um, I think that something that was like so crucial also in the early stages was the uh, UCSD's Antiretroviral Research Center uh, Community Advisory Board, as we finally refer to as the CAB. And uh, I think that's a, a lead in to you, Andy. I think uh, what Susanna was just uh, speaking about, uh, about making sure that uh, the participants have a significant other, um, that really just points to the to the magic that she brings to the to the study. Um, I don't I don't think typically you know scientists would would say oh hey we need to have a significant other. Uh, so that's uh, that's the value that uh, that someone like Susanna can can definitely bring. But I just wanted to say that uh, early on, um, you know, five years ago. When I was at conferences, uh, conferences uh, like the Conference for Retro on Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections and the AIDS Clinical Trials Group Conference, um, I would constantly get asked about what kind of crazy thing they were doing back at UCSD. And everybody was just shaking their head in disbelief. And it just seemed like about 10 minutes after that, Everybody else was crawling around like, how do we get tissue? How do we get to be involved in this in this study? Uh, because people did recognize the value. The science is is solid. The science is uh, uh, something that's available in the last gift that has never been available before uh, with viable tissues. And I, I wanted to say that um, the participants from their standpoint, many of them um, have been people that have been, if not HIV positive for many, many years, they've been around the HIV world for many years. And, uh, a lot of them were activists that got, uh, you know, got things changed, uh, in the way of medicine and research that, that HIV brought to the table, uh, such as, uh, you know, phase four studies used to be all done uh, prior to uh, marketing of the medications. 
And now, because of HIV, because of the activists that uh, that pushed hard on regulators, uh, marketing comes after the third phase. So that, as we know, uh, just from coming through COVID, has been a huge, huge value. And uh, so these people have been involved in in research since the beginning of, of, of the HIV epidemic, and they were faced at the end of their lives with a diagnosis that prevented them from being involved in any research whatsoever. And um, that didn't sit well with the community, that didn't sit well with them, and they were able to, you know, take a last stab at having a meaningful legacy to leave in life. Thank you so much. I'm going to pick up on the questions. Some of these I want to come back to because there's a lot of great stuff. I want to make sure that we, we get to some of the questions um, from the audience. So the, the first one from Selena Shen says, great talk. I was wondering how frequently rapid autopsies are performed at UCSD. Are all the autopsies performed at UCSD or at collaborating locations? So we are not the uh, only rapid autopsy program at UCSD. We are the only HIV uh, so uh, the only rapid autopsy program that involves people with HIV. And what makes us unique is because HIV spreads across the body. We do an extensive uh, uh, tissue collection across basically the whole body. But uh, there are there is a problem for a, a project, for example, that does rapid autopsy for ALS, and they just focus on the brain and the spinal cord. So for us, we do between like five and eight rapid autopsy a year, and they're not very frequent, like overall, uh, they're not very frequent. But the pioneers uh, of rapid autopsies uh, have been uh, in the cancer research to answer the second question. Like there is a job, John Hopkins group uh, that have been doing cancer, rapid autopsy for cancer since decades. And uh, we did connect with them and they helped us quite a bit to set up our initial protocol. Thank you. In the next question, um, and I'll read, read these <laughs> kind of as they, they come and then we can, we can talk about um, some of the branches off. It says, it seems that there's so much uh, intersection on non-HIV versus HIV end of life. Why wouldn't much of this apply to other folks such as dementia or cancer patients? So many of the considerations should be incorporated in non-HIV uh, end of life. And, and I'd say, I think in tackling that, I think for some folks who aren't as familiar with, with um, clinical-based research, maybe include in there a distinction between intent to care and not, uh, and thinking through some of these issues. Uh, we actually reviewed a lot of the non-HIV end of life literature to generate our considerations for HIV care-related research at the end of life. We also reviewed the palliative care literature um, and the, the cancer literature. So the, um, the work that uh, Rebecca Prince has done in oncology was very, very helpful to um, inform our ethical considerations for HIV care-related research at the end of life. But now is the time where the field of HIV can give back to the other field, because I, I'm guessing other fields will want to do similar research. And this research is also benefiting other fields of study. I think that one uh, uh, thing that is unique to our study compared to other study is that we are basically doing the autopsy to study a disease that is not the primary disease that is killing the patient, right? Like 
a lot of the other rapid autopsy program, if it's like an oncology, like most people die of cancer and then uh, they study cancer. While the last gift participant, they do not die of HIV at all. And we study HIV. So that makes it a little bit unique. And then for the next question, are participants always approached at end of life? Well, by design, <laughs> we do approach them at the end of life, mostly because we don't have to re the resource to follow people for like 30 years. So because we need to focus on a small number and because it's such an intense study, we usually prioritize people that are that have a life, uh, uh, a disease that is life shortening. Uh, we try to not enroll them too late. Like sometimes we do get referrals from people that are very close to that. And then we are enroll them and they die like after 72 hours. But we don't like that. That's suboptimal. Uh, we really like to follow them for a, a few months uh, to crack, you know, to get to know them and connect and characterize them. But sometimes it happens that people die very, very fast. And then I agree that sometimes it's, um, it's hard on the team to Susanna, you wanted to say something? Yes. I was going to say that um, last gift is an evolution in uh, collection of uh, tissue and uh, fluids uh, after death via autopsy. The California Neurotissue Aid study, the study that um, I started off with when I started working here at the HIV Neurobehavioral Research Center, um, did and does continue to do autopsies. Uh, we enroll people um, at any age, uh, fitting certain criteria, but the and they could be H uh, living with HIV or they could be um, not living with HIV. And some of those participants do, uh, when they find out about the last gift, they want to be added to the last gift. And so we have, have had some individuals um, go from one study and carry over to the other. The other part is that we have such a good relationship with many of our uh, providers out there in the community because it is a requirement that our participants must uh, be living with HIV that, um, and it's also a continual process to keep our providers informed about uh, our study, what it's about and how they contact us and how we enroll, that um, we get these referrals. So they could, they could come from anywhere in the community. Remember, this is San Diego County, and there's over 13,000 folks living with HIV. And those are the folks who know they have HIV. Those aren't the undiagnosed folks. So um, we want to be able to um, find as many of those individuals. So we do um, need to uh, continue our uh, community outreach with groups that are support groups for folks living with HIV, as well as provider support groups. I also lead a people of color HIV case managers uh, group. It's very important to keep them updated on research as well as other resources in the community. So it's, it's a, wide, a wide circle that has a lot of little pools, other little circles of pools that interconnect. Thank you. 
Another question for Selena. Um, between rapid autopsies, does the last gift team use the samples for research or are more samples distributed to other researchers? Also, how many collaborators research teams does the last gift have at UCSD and around the world? Is the last gift project notified mentioned when tissue samples collected by your team are used? So we certainly use the tissue for our own experiment. Uh, like we measure viral levels, we sequence the virus, we look at integration site, we measure the viral milieu. We have a lot of exciting uh, research going on at UCSD, but because we want to maximize uh, the gift of every study participant, we do distribute the tissue. And we have, I will say maybe uh, 10 uh, research groups right now that are getting some tissue from us to do complementary research and we get notified every time. So we, we, we have a concept sheet. People uh, have to have material transfer agreement. Everyone, we always know where the tissue is, what pe people are doing with it. And every time there is a, a you know, like a paper or something coming out, we, we will be part of it, yeah. Right. And Akshay is asked, uh, how do you deal with disagreements between the patient and their loved ones, community stakeholders, when it came to research participation? Early on, I learned quickly that uh, the uh, primary um, participant, the individual who was having the end-of-life condition, um, was not necessarily sharing all of the information with their significant other. So when this was brought to my attention, and it usually happened very late in the study and uh, sometimes after death, saying uh, comments like um, they wish they had known what was going on. So as a result of that, again, this study evolves based on the input from participants as well as um, the community and as well as the next of kin, the loved ones. And so it, it made it very important to me to make sure that the next of kin was involved in the uh, process of uh, enrollment in the study, informed consent, um, and then uh, this is done with a, a permission of the participant. Uh, we had some issues where um, the participants did not want anybody else to be involved, and we respect that. So um, sometimes I did not uh, have contact with anyone until after the participant died and then informed uh, whomever was whomever was the uh, next of kin or significant other about um, the study and about um, the process that had went on. So it's really between the participant and their family member, their loved one, their next of kin, um, again, as an observational study, um, we can write about these things when, once they're, where they're recognizable to us, once we're informed about them, and try to gently and encourage um, the uh, participant to uh, allow us to speak with the next of kin and to enroll them in the study. And for the most part, it's been really wonderful because um, as um, the study has progressed, we have had more next of kin involvement. So that is that is the um, positive side of that. Great, thank you. I, I'm curious, Andy, if you'd be kind enough to speak a little bit more about the Community Advisory Board. 
I think for a lot of folks, um, they're familiar with the term like an institutional review board, right? Or maybe even have to submit a project to it. But I know with the community advisory board, I, I think they're less structured, right? Or, or less formal um, explanations of how they function. It varies, right, from project to project. So I'm curious if you could give us a little bit about your experience and um, here here in San Diego. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, community advisory boards in some ways are, um, you know, it's a way that that the lay public, the interested lay public, can get information on some of the research that's being done. Uh, there are community advisory boards for any number of things. Um, I mean, underarm deodorant makers have community advisory boards. Um, but that said, uh, it's an opportunity for the community to to learn uh, what the science and medicine community is doing uh, as far as research. And it takes a it takes a good amount of uh, of meetings for someone to get caught up to to know the 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 terminology that's being used and uh and you know eventually you get to know the researchers over the years because they continually come back and and present to us um that said uh i i i kind of also see the community advisory board as a little bit of a a policing structure, if you will. Um, you know, I know during during COVID, uh, we all know that there's been a lot of uh, turmoil and people believing something that may or may not be scientifically true and other things that may or may not be scientifically true. I have actually told uh, some of my friends uh, that have had problems with uh, with the research and what's uh, what's going on with COVID, uh, because a lot of the HIV researchers have turned to COVID uh, because they're, you know, not to, to get too deep into it, but they already had the infrastructure set up so that they could deal with an infectious disease. So people would come to me and and talk about how, you know, don't trust the vaccine, don't trust this, don't trust that. And I would explain to them that people like me and community advisory boards are there to kind of hold the researchers feet to the fire. And if we see things that we don't don't agree with ethically, uh, scientifically, uh, we bring that up. That's our role. And um, it, it it's really been something that has enhanced my life a lot. Uh, and a lot of the community advisory board members that I know, the same thing. Um, we have access to to researchers that normally people don't have access to. In the case of the last gift, uh, we really had to shift uh, our our review of a study, which we typically do. Um, we review AIDS clinical trial studies that are coming up. Uh, we look at at all of the different inclusion and exclusion criteria, the schedule of events. How many times do you need a participant to show up? uh to you know is it is is it too onerous for them well with the last gift there isn't a specific schedule of events it's totally driven by the participant which is really it, it flips everything on its head and so the team has to be really flexible and um and able to uh 
to bend to the to the needs and and um, I guess schedule of the participant. It's not like, hey, you need to be here on you know Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. That's not going to happen. It it's like the researchers have to be there at the participant's house or at the hospital, the hospice site uh, at 2 p.m. on Thursday. So, um, you know, it's been it's been really interesting from that standpoint uh, as a community advisory board member to to just watch how this study has evolved. And uh, and I, I don't personally think that this would have been anywhere near as successful uh, and even doable without the community advisory board. Oh, great. No, thank you so much um, for sharing. Um, I, I uh, see that we, we, we've gone through the questions. I think we could probably go on talking for another hour or two, both of the history and the, the richness of the experience that you all bring. So we look forward to you all coming back. Also want to encourage um, folks to, 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 to take a look at Davy Smith's um, first presentation of the, of the project, and I think the exploration of altruism uh, in, in research, which I think goes, goes well with this discussion as well. And so looking forward to, to the future and additional updates. Thank you all so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.